Welcome to Monday Morning Murder in the News with Alyssa Carroll. Good morning, heathens, and happy Murder in the News Monday that I've been releasing every single Monday morning because the rest of the regular news is just hot, scary garbage, and you know you'd rather be hearing me and my bullshit anyway. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I collect news articles along with articles sent to me by you, my beloveds, and others. So thank you for submitting those. Now, unlike my regular podcast that I write out in its entirety before I record so that I stay on task, this is unscripted, and I do not read the articles past the headline ahead of time, so you and I can react together. Uh, let's go. And as always, coming to you live from the closet of shame. Okay, so our first article comes from CourtTV.com. The title reads, I.L. versus Timothy Bleifnick, Family Feud Murder Trial. So coming out of Quincy, Illinois, Court TV. An Illinois man convicted of killing his estranged wife was sentenced to life in prison on Friday. I think we've talked about this one before. In May, a jury convicted Timothy Bleifnick on charges of first-degree murder and home invasion for the February 2023 death of Rebecca, his ex-wife, I believe. So Timothy raised eyebrows when he appeared on an episode of Family Feud that aired in January of 2020 and told host Steve Harvey that his biggest mistake on his wedding night was saying, quote, I do. Ouch. Rebecca, 41, was found shot to death inside her Quincy home on February 23rd. On March 13th, the Quincy Police Department announced it had arrested Timothy on a no-bond warrant. Josh Jones, lead trial attorney for the Adams County State Attorney's Office, described the, quote, horrific crime as an act of domestic violence. Court records indicated that Timothy filed a petition to dissolve his marriage to Rebecca in 2021. The court docket for their case showed a number of entries, including each party filing temporary restraining orders against each other. Prosecutors declined to reveal their evidence before the trial because the judge in the case sealed pretrial motions. Timothy's attorney, Casey Schnack, told Court TV he is innocent and that a prowler may be to blame for the murder. Since Rebecca's murder, her parents, William and Bernadette Possel, have represented her in probate court proceedings in an effort to prevent the defendant from accessing money from the couple's estate to fund his defense, WGEM reported. Court TV has reached out to the attorneys representing both sides of the probate case. <clears throat> so on day five, May 30th, 2023, prosecutors rested their case against him after calling 46 witnesses over five days. He is expected to decide on Wednesday morning whether or not he will testify in his own defense. Let's see. Um, Eddie testified. Man, 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 man. DNA analyst Kelly Machewski 
testified that the defendant's DNA did not match samples collected from items at the crime scene, except as a possible contributor to pieces of plastic found around the victim's body, which prosecutors say might have been used to make a silencer. Investigators asked trace chemist James Riggins to compare the pieces of plastic to Aldi grocery store bags. Aldi, Aldi's is like a super discounted kind of cheaper grocery store in the States for those of you who are not familiar with it. Um, so they were to compare the pieces of plastic to an Aldi grocery store bag from the defendant's home. Riggins said that the bags shared similarities but could not conclusively call them a match. The same was said for comparisons between a crowbar from the defendant's home and pry marks on a window that investigators believe the shooter entered through. Toolmark examiner Catherine Doolin testified that two shared similarities, but not enough to make a complete identification. So the defense attorney Casey Schnack argued for a directed verdict, saying that none of the evidence put Tim in the home when Becky is believed to have been killed. The judge denied the motion. So, on day four, he appeared to wipe tears away during a presentation of autopsy photos in court. During the testimony of forensic pathologist Dr. Scott Denton, Prosecutor Josh Jones drew attention not only to the victim's 14 gunshot wounds, but to the special clothing and bandages she was wearing because of recent surgery. Becky's surgery has been a recurring theme in testimony, likely to draw attention to her vulnerable state when she was killed and to make it clear that her crotchless pants and genital trauma were from surgery and not the result of sexual assault. The jury heard about Google searches and websites that were visited on the defendant's home and laptop. The defense objected to the evidence because some of the searches had no time or dates attributed to them. Some highlights of his Google searches. Can you identify if a shotgun shell was shot out of a specific gun? How to open a window from outside. Can I force open my door with a crowbar if I lock myself out? Can you just wash off gunshot residue? Can gunshot residue be washed off? You know, and this is kind of a sidebar thing, right? So, <clears throat> and feel free to disagree with me. But when you see things like this, the people's Google searches, do you ever stop and think, how fucking stupid can you be? Why would you Google that? Not only why would you Google that if you're planning a crime, but then also, how do you not know these things? Like, can you identify if a shotgun shell was shot out of a specific gun? Everyone knows you can. How to open a window from outside. Can I force my door open with a crowbar? Is he some kind of idiot? I, I mean, I apologize. That's rude, but okay. Anyway, so the jury heard about Facebook marketplace purchases made through a John Smith account registered to Blyfnik's iPhone. Blyfnik's. The purchases included bicycles bearing a strong resemblance to one found in his garage and another one found abandoned in an alley a block from the defendant's home. I'm kind of just scanning through. It's like a whole thing. This is really pretty cool. If I can remember to, <laughs> I'll try to put this article in the notes so you guys can read it for yourselves if you'd like to. Um, but that's pretty much it so far. So again, I'll try to remember to put this one in the notes. Okay, our next article comes from the New York Post, and the title reads, Disgraced, ex-Suffolk County Chief was busted for exposing himself to Park Ranger arrest report. I think we went over this one as well. This is a different article, and I kept it, so let's see what it says. 
So James Burke, the disgraced ex-Suffolk County police chief who was busted for allegedly soliciting sex in a Long Island park, exposed himself and began masturbating in front of a plains clothes plain clothes ranger just before he was cuffed, according to an arrest report obtained by the Post. Burke, 58, allegedly pulled down his pants, took out his penis, and manipulated it in a sexual manner before telling the park ranger that he likes sucking that, the arrest report states. The arrest report didn't state that. I'm not saying that. He took out his penis and then he manipulated it in a sexual manner. He manipulated it. That's one way to put it, huh? Oh, New York Post and your pop-ups. So Burke, who botched the Gilgo Beach murders probe and served time in federal prison for beating a crook who stole his dildo and porn stash, uh, was picked up around 10.15 a.m. Tuesday in the Suffolk County Vietnam Veterans Memorial Park in Farmingville. Suffolk County Police Commissioner Rodney K. Harrison announced the arrest later Tuesday, saying only that Burke was busted for, quote, soliciting sexual engagement. But he he beat a crook who stole his dildo and porn stash. Um, so the arrest was only further stained the already dreadful reputation of the county's former top cop who was sentenced in November of 2016 to 46 months behind bars for assault and obstruction of justice after beating suspect Christopher Loeb in 2012 for stealing Burke's stash of sex goodies. The New York Post literally typed that stash of sex goodies. He was released from federal prison in 2018. Burke also had drug-addled trysts with hookers and once fled from a drunken wreck, according to court records and various reports. He has been charged with offering a sex act, public lewdness, indecent exposure and criminal solicitation for the Tuesday morning encounter, according to police officials. Burke was given a summons and told to answer the charges in court on September 11th. That is Monday, according to the Suffolk County District Attorney's Office. Nobody answered the door at Burke's home in Smithtown, Long Island, when a reporter from the Post knocked Wednesday afternoon. The window shades were drawn and a sheet covered the bay window facing the street. That's brave. Before his newest arrest, neighbors said Burke lived a relatively low-profile life in the Long Island suburb. Quote, he's out jogging most days, but other than that, you don't see nobody, you don't see nobody come in, nobody leaving, said one neighbor who has bad grammar, I'm sorry, who asked that he not be identified. Quote, he's low-key. Another neighbor, a woman who lives nearby, said Burke was an intensely private person who, quote, doesn't like people looking at him and doesn't make eye contact when he sees others in public. Quote, he's the only person I've ever met who built a six-foot-tall picket fence around his deck, his second-floor deck, the woman said. Safe to say, he doesn't want people to know what's going in his yard or in his house. Who knows what's going on? The rangers, who were patrolling an area well-known as a public hookup spot for derelicts, did not know who Burke was until he identified himself and tried to worm out of the arrest by saying it would be a public humiliation. Police said the rangers arrested him anyway. So, another sidebar. I have thoughts about that. So, he didn't like people looking at him. He didn't like to maintain eye contact, per se. He's 
very particular about his physique. If he's going running most of the time, he he just seems he's displaying very antisocial behaviors, you know, socially unacceptable behaviors. It just makes me think, is he one of those that could have been one of the people that we study, but he just didn't quite take the plunge or working in law enforcement? Maybe he has. Maybe he has. Maybe we should look into this Burke guy a little more. I don't know. He seems kind of fishy. So our next article comes from NBC2.com, and the title reads, Adopted son accused of killing his parents in Northport home. So North Point, no, Northport, Florida. That's, you wouldn't think that'd be hard to say, but it is. A man now is in custody after reportedly stabbing his parents to death in their Northport home. According to the Northport Police Department, officers responded after a person called 911 saying a woman was bloodied and screaming for help while knocking on the door of her Northport home. Police arrived at the scene on 1240 Mollycote Road at around 1156 p.m. That's late. Once they arrived, the police department said officers saw a man later identified as 21-year-old Dima James Tower, or maybe Dima, D-I-M-A, bloodied and shutting the trunk of a vehicle. Officers tried to stop Tower, but he fled the scene in a black car. And as Tower drove off, police chased him on Toledo Blade Boulevard. He headed north on I-75 at high speeds before spike strips forced him to stop near mile marker 192. Tower then got out of his vehicle and ran off into the woods, police said. After eight hours of searching, Venice police officers captured him at the Shell gas station located at 1000 Knights Trail Road. Friends of the family told NBC2 the victims are Tower's adoptive parents, Rob and Jennifer. They adopted him from Ukraine. When officers entered the tower's home, they found the dead bodies of Rob and Jennifer lying on the living room floor. Rob had what appeared to be a puncture wound in his upper back. Jennifer's head was covered in blood, and her injuries are currently unknown. Sounds like he really took his time with her. Um, Officers found large amounts of blood on the couches in the living room, the bed in the master bedroom, the inside of the front door, and the kitchen. A towel rag in the kitchen sink was also covered in blood. The towers brought the neighborhood together, and friends say they will be missed dearly. Tower has since been booked into the Sarasota County Jail and is being charged with two counts of second-degree murder. Previous records show he was arrested for felony battery in 2020 after attacking a man inside the home. That is all. That that was literally the whole article. So I want to know more. Do any of you know more about this case? Did he have some issues or something? I'm curious. And here's our usual and almost always Florida article. This comes from CBS12.com. The title reads, Florida mother kills her children, then herself, after court order to return son to father. Oh, this is coming out of J. Maine. 
Why does it say Florida, mother, if it's coming out of Maine? Anyway, a 10-year-old boy and his 19-year-old half-sister were murdered by their mother in Florida because she didn't want to give up custody of her son, according to the authorities. The boy's father said his son was supposed to start his first day of fifth grade in Maine. Nick Hutchins had just been granted primary custody of his 10-year-old son, Aiden Hutchins. Quote, I've always fought to be a part of his life and always wanted the best for my son, Nick Hutchins said. Aiden Hutchins was living with his mother, Brandy, and 19-year-old half-sister in Florida. Quote, fresh beginning for him and he was looking forward to it, Nick said. A judge had ordered Brandy to turn over custody of Aiden to his father. Quote, he was supposed to come up here on August 21st and be delivered by his mom, Nick said. Nick said his ex-wife didn't show up, so a judge ordered her to hand over the child immediately on Friday. Quote, got in the truck, made the 24-hour trip to Lake Wales, Florida, Nick said. So he went down to Florida. Authorities say Brandy didn't show up then either. The Polk County, Florida Sheriff said they worked through the weekend to find Aiden Hutchins, and on Sunday, they received a tip about his location. Quote, we all got into the truck and drove to the location, and that's where I learned that my son had been murdered by his mom, Nick said. Ooh. Sheriff Grady Judd said Brady, no, Brandy Hutchins killed both of her children before shooting herself. Quote, I can't imagine a more horrific set of circumstances, Judge said. My heart breaks for all the family. We are devastated for this beautiful 10-year-old child, all because mom didn't want to turn the child over to the rightful father pursuant to a court order. She took a lot from everyone from being selfish, Nick said. So Nick feels the judicial system failed Aiden, and now he wants change. Quote, I don't want it to take that many years in a court system to prove that one parent isn't having the best interest in the child's life, Nick said. So Aiden's going to be buried in Maine. Quote, I always told him it was never goodbye. It was always see you soon. He'll always live on in me, and I hope that he'll live on in the rest of the world's hearts. End quote. That is, that is just terrible. So our next article comes from CBSNews.com, and I'm looking at you again, Baltimore. Uh, the title reads, Two Dead Bodies Found with Signs of Trauma in East Baltimore Home. And then, of course, a pop-up. So, homicide detectives have opened an investigation into the death of two people who were found inside a residence in Baltimore's Broadway East neighborhood, according to authorities. They were alerted to the untimely deaths after officers on patrol in the eastern part of the city found the bodies while conducting a welfare check in the 1800 block of North Collington Avenue around 8.40 p.m., police said. Firefighters helped officers gain entry to the home, which is where they found two people, a 49-year-old woman and an unidentified male, dead at the residence. Their bodies had obvious signs of trauma, according to the authorities. The office of the chief medical examiner will conduct an autopsy on the bodies to determine the cause of death, police said. Anyone with information about this incident should contact homicide detectives at 410-396-2100. And then our next article comes from NewsNationNow.com. The title reads, BTK's daughter, Carrie Rawson, reveals details of bondage photos. 
Uh, so it says, warning, this content may be disturbing for some viewers. You're not viewing, you're listening, so watch your ears. Okay, investigators are looking into missing persons cases associated with Raider. We knew this. The serial killer known as BTK was convicted of killing 10 people. Detectives said no direct evidence leaking BTK to murdered Shauna Garber. Uh, so Carrie Rawson gave her analysis of photos taken by her father, Dennis Rader, of himself reenacting crime scenes. And I think we've all kind of seen that, right? Where he's got himself tied up with that weird, like, makeup mask, clear mask. Uh, so Rader, also known as BTK, which stands for Bind, Torture, and Kill, was convicted in 2005 of killing 10 people from 1974 to 1991. However... Authorities believe there are at least five missing persons cases connected to him, and his daughter believes there could be more victims. So chilling photos Raider took of himself surfaced after investigators searched his former property. He appears to be dressed as victims in the photos, mimicking their torture. I mean, he's done that before. Are these new pictures that they found? Rawson went into detail about where some of the photos were taken and how they provide clues to his crimes. We Okay, quote, We believe, based on his bondage choices in that photo, that he has a series to where he's reenacting several things that happened to a victim, and he's wearing bindings that match Shauna Garber, Rawson told Banfield exclusively Friday. Quote, and then there's a blanket that's missing from Garber, and we think it was under Dad in that bondage photo. He literally had that blanket in our house, and then he took it camping, and he literally covered me with that blanket when I, when I was cold. It was said twice. I didn't make that up. Missouri detective Lori Howard also joined Banfield on Friday and said that there's currently no direct evidence connecting Raider to Garber. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The body of Shauna Beth Garber, who was 22 when she went missing, was discovered in 1990. The autopsy revealed she had been raped, strangled, and restrained with bindings about two months before her body was found in McDonald County, Missouri. Howard has spent hours speaking with Raider and in a previous interview with Banfield said she always found him to be, quote, very cooperative. Quote, if I offered up something, he, meaning Raider, gave me an answer. He never held anything back. He actually participated for the whole interview, Howard said. And that's the end of that article. I'm glad that his daughter is trying to help, if you know what I'm saying. I'm very, very glad that she's doing that. Because we know that um, Keith Jesperson, was that his name? The truck driver who tied the sex worker under a semi and... Anyway, his daughter has been a big advocate for things, too. And, and it's, it's super cool to see that these kids are horrified by what their parent, serial killing parent, did or any other kids from really bad criminals, you know. But there's something about Carrie that is just, I don't know, guys. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? 
Our next article comes from InsideEdition.com. Title reads, Jurors sob as man accused of plunging ice pick into girlfriend's skull and molesting her corpse found guilty. He definitely looks a little crazy in the eyes. So Katie Pham had been stripped of most of her clothing and was laying on top of a mattress cover on the floor of the garage, according to the construction workers who found the 21-year-old's body. That was another kind of title thing. So then the body of it says, It was an emotional day in court this week as a jury convicted a California man of murdering his girlfriend. It took jurors less than 24 hours to return with their verdict, finding Daniel Gunnarsson guilty of first-degree murder and mutilating a corpse, court records show. Gunnarsson, 23, allegedly drove his girlfriend of one month, Katie Pham, to his stepfather's home and lured her into a garage where he stabbed her in the head 10 times with an ice pick, according to a criminal complaint. 10 times. That's rage. The body of Pham, 21, was found by construction workers on the property, according to the Kern County Sheriff's Office. Those workers told deputies that Gunnarsson was standing near the body covered in blood and that Pham had been stripped of most of her clothing and was laying on top of a mattress cover on the floor of the garage, according to the complaint. Quote, after Pham was deceased... Gunnarsson repositioned Pham and proceeded to touch her remains in a sexual manner, said Deputy District Attorney Samantha Allen. The gruesome nature of the murder seemed to weigh heavy on some of the jurors when the verdict was read out in court on Wednesday. The Bakersfield Californian reports that three of the jurors broke down in tears as the court clerk delivered the verdict. Those jurors, quote, didn't look directly at Gunnarsson during the proceedings, according to the report. Gunnarsson will now be sentenced on October 25th, according to court records. He has been in the custody of the California Department of State Hospitals since his arrest, court records show, and was initially determined to be incompetent to stand trial in the case after his arrest in 2021. Gunnarsson's lawyer argued that her client did not commit the crime and told jurors that if they did feel a need to convict, it should be on a charge of voluntary manslaughter, reports the Bakerfield Californian. What? Did you guys hear that? That dude's lawyer said he is completely innocent, but if you're going to charge him with anything, then just make it voluntary manslaughter. I, she... I don't want to say something. Okay. So jurors did not heed that argument, however, and given the choice of manslaughter and first and second degree murder, opted to convict Gunnarsson of first degree murder. That's the end of the article. So this next one, I saw the headline too. I don't know if someone sent this one to me or I found it myself, but I remember seeing this headline immediately stopped because I, this is ridiculous sounding. I'm sure it's very bad. But I just had to experience this with you guys because here we go. So this comes from lawandcrime.com. The title says, Pair who filmed themselves torturing raccoon with a sword, a garden rake, and hammer until the animal died in extreme physical pain, quote-unquote, and shared the video, get short stays in jail. Why would you do anything to a raccoon? Those things are astonishingly cute. 
So a shocking incident of animal cruelty has ended with two Illinois men being sentenced to short stints in the local county jail. In June of 2022, a helpless raccoon was attacked by two men who filmed the violence and then shared the animal snuff video on social media, even directly sending the horrific footage to some people. I love raccoons. I'm not okay with this. Daniel A. Carey, 19, was arrested in July of 2022 on two counts of animal torture and one count of disorderly conduct, according to McHenry County Circuit Court records reviewed by Law and Crime. His accomplice, Nathan P. Weber, 19, was arrested on one count each of animal torture, depiction of animal cruelty, and disorderly conduct. Then it says, content warning, a graphic description of animal cruelty follows. Um, the incident occurred in Huntley, a medium-sized suburban village that straddles McHenry and Kane counties and is part of the broader Chicago metropolitan area. In the footage, Carrie torture the raccoon by Carrie torture the raccoon. I think they forgot the D, tortured the raccoon by stabbing it with a sword ultimately impaling the poor creature, according to a criminal complaint obtained by the Lake and McHenry County scanner. <sighs> Before dying, impaled by what authorities termed, quote, a cutlass-style sword or large knife, the two men took turns torturing the raccoon. In the video, Weber pins the animal down with a garden rake, causing it to suffer for a prolonged amount of time. The complaint, I don't really want to read this, it inflicted extreme physical pain on the highly intelligent social mammals who's... Okay. Then he strikes a raccoon in the head with the hammer. It's... Okay. I can't... I'm sorry. I live out in the middle of nowhere, and I have chickens, right? So that's just ringing the dinner bell for raccoons. And I use live traps. I catch them. And then I rehome them at the lake seven minutes away from my house. There's a lake. And I rehome them down there because there's all that water. It's completely... Where I live in the, what we call the Ozarks, the Ozark Mountains, it's not mountains, but they're really big hills just carpeted with forestry, you know, so that way they're not hurting my chickens and I'm not going to kill them for doing what they were put on this planet to do, right? So this is kind of tough. This is not funny. The suspects were arrested roughly a month after the slaying was shared on social media, court records show. They were each released after posting 10% of their $20,000 bonds. They only got a $20,000 bond for, like, extreme torture? Both men initially pleaded not guilty and requested jury trials. They faced five years in prison if convicted on their original charges. In the plea deal, Kerry ultimately had his two felony counts reduced to class to one Class A misdemeanor charge of cruelty to animals. From two felonies to one Class A misdemeanor, I'm fucking pissed. Weber had his one felony count pleaded down to a one to one Class A misdemeanor charge of depiction of animal cruelty. The sentences were accepted by Judge Tiffany Davis. Quote, Nathan did a lot of soul searching, especially with the help of his parents. Weber's attorney, Brian Stevens, told the Shaw Local News Network. The judge also noted this. Davis said it was important he took responsibility for his actions and he understood what he did was wrong. He knew. 
that that shit was wrong while he was doing it. Are you kidding me? That is some seriously messed up behavior. That those two are dangerous. I'm telling you, it starts with raccoons. You know what I'm saying? I bet they've, that's not even the first time they've done that. In April, Weber was sentenced to 10 days in county jail, 240 hours of community service, and two years of probation. On August 31st, Carey was sentenced to spend 60 days in county jail and 18 months on probation. He must also complete 240 hours of community service. According to the county scanner, both men must perform community service at an animal shelter or somewhere similar. I'm telling you guys right now, right now, that they're going to get out and they're going to do something else. I would put money on it. I would. So our next and final article. I know, I know, but you'll have another one on Friday. This one comes from lawandcrime.com. Title says, Dad who kept umbilical cord to, quote, remember daughter forcefully drowned in bathtub moments after birth is sentenced. You can see why that article got my attention. So a 31-year-old father in Iowa will spend several decades behind bars after admitting to his role in killing his newborn daughter by instructing and coaching his girlfriend on how to drown the child in the bathtub immediately after she was born to prevent police from finding meth in her system. (sighs) Webster County Circuit Court Judge Kurt J. Stoweb on Friday, ordered Brandon D. Tama to serve a sentence of 20 to 50 years in a state correctional facility for the cold-blooded slaying of young Kayleen Lee Blaha, court records reviewed by Law and Crime Show. Tama, Toma, in July, reached a deal with prosecutors in which he agreed to plead guilty to one count of child endangerment resulting in death and one count of abuse of a corpse, Abuse of a corpse? In exchange for his plea, prosecutors dropped one count of first-degree murder Toma had initially been facing. Kayleen's mother, Taylor, who had also been facing a first-degree murder charge earlier this month, pleaded guilty to one count of second-degree murder in her daughter's death. She was similarly sentenced to 35 to 50 years in prison during a hearing last week. The couple also have a son together who was two years old at the time of the newborn's death. Taylor's father read a victim impact statement during Friday's hearing in which he spoke directly to Toma about the horrors his abuse has had on his daughter and grandchildren on his daughter. Okay. Quote, my daughter was in this courtroom a week ago, and when she was sentenced, she had a big smile on her face, he said in footage provided by Des Moines CBS affiliate KCCI. Quote, I asked her, why were you smiling? You were just convicted and sentenced to 50 years. You know what she said? She said, I'll be in prison, Dad, and he can't hurt me no more. End quote. During her sentencing hearing last week, Blaha told the court that Toma, quote, convinced her that if authorities found out about her meth use, they would take her son away from her. The, quote, he convinced me that the only way out of this was to drown the baby in the bathtub, she said. He told me what to do and how to do it. When I tried to take my hands off her, he would put my hands back on her and encourage me to keep going. She died as a result, end quote. I cannot. 
According to a probate cause affidavit obtained by Law and Crime, Blaha, on November 22, 2022, went to Unity Point Trinity Regional Medical Center, where she met with an employee at the Iowa Department of Human Services. She allegedly said that she, quote, gave birth to a baby at her residence and that it had been buried in an undisclosed location, end quote. The IDHS employee contacted the Webster County Law Enforcement Center and a detective with the sheriff's office responded to the scene. In an interview with the detective, Blaha said she found out she was pregnant with Thomas Child in April of 2022. The two already have a two-year-old son together. She explained that she gave birth to a baby girl in the bathroom of their apartment located in the 900 block of Central Avenue in Fort Dodge on November 16th. She stated that Toma was in the bedroom of the apartment when she gave birth, but that once the baby was born, he came into the bathroom and helped her get from where she was sitting on the toilet to a position sitting inside the bathtub with the baby. She advises the two named the baby Kayleen Lee Blaha and that she was born alive, crying, moving her arms and legs and opening her eyes, allowing Blaha to see that Kayleen had brown eyes. Blaha allegedly said she asked Toma for methamphetamine to help with the pain from giving birth and he provided her with the drugs. She told the detective they had, quote, no intentions of keeping the child and planned to let Blaha's sister adopt the girl. She added that Toma severed the umbilical cord with a pair of scissors and cut, quote, sections of the cord to be kept to remember the baby, end quote. However, Blaha told authorities that she and Toma soon became nervous their neighbors would hear Kayleen crying and alert law enforcement. They were scared that if law enforcement came to the home and found methamphetamine in the baby's system, they would lose custody of their two-year-old son. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Quote, Blaha went on to explain that in order to stop the crying, the two placed Kayleen in the bathtub, which was about half full of water, and placed both of their hands on the baby's chest, forcing her underwater, ultimately killing her. Blaha also explained that Toma demonstrated to her how to do this. Blaha advised that once the baby was held underwater, Toma removed the baby from the bathtub and sat her outside of the tub before ultimately placing her in a plastic storage container, wrapping her in multiple layers of trash bags, and then placing her inside of a black backpack that he carried her out of the apartment in. While Kayleen's body was never recovered, investigators executed a search warrant on their apartment and recovered what appeared to be the portion of the umbilical cord that Toma had as a keepsake to, quote, remember their daughter. I need to try to end these on a funny one or something. Not that there's anything funny about murder, but we're all here. All of us here have the dark sense of humor, right? Am I right? But that one's just awful. That's just horrible. I, you know, just, I don't understand hurting children whatsoever. But anyway, so here we are. Monday has 
slapped us on the ass yet again, right? <sighs> so we're going to get through this though, you know, we're going to get through it and it's going to be fine. It's going to be like anything else. You know, you just got to put your head down, you know, and you just got to focus on something that makes you happy and get your work done and go home. Right. Unless you love your job. And if you love your job, that is fantastic. We are actually happy for you. Um, I'm okay with mine. I prefer to podcast. It's not as lucrative as you'd think. So thanks for listening. Let's have a good week and love you guys. Bye.